0: care, reminded us, really painted a picture for us, allowed us to listen in to the anthems of heaven. It was a sermon out of Revelation 4 and 5. And and even as we left in the midst of music, we were reminded of this scene in which God is on the throne, and, and it appears that all of creation encircles that throne in worship. But something happens in our text in Revelation 6. As it seems as if the, the songs of, of heaven are interrupted. Uh, they're interrupted by, by the sounds of earth. And, and there's something inside of us that, that looks at the anthems of, and hears the anthems of heaven. And, and looks at the anarchy around us. And there's this there's tension in the text. It seems like these two visions shouldn't go together. There's this, this dissonance in the text. And I've asked Grace Funderberg to say out uh, kind of awkwardly for 60 seconds, so sorry, Grace, to kind of illustrate this tension in the text musically for us. That, that musically, two chords can stand next to one another. And, and, and Grace, play just one chord so that we kind of hear, I think this is a D, right? So we hear a chord, and this chord sounds, uh, sounds natural to us. But as she plays a chord right next to it, we sense this dissonance. There is something wrong. And there's something about dissonance musically that when we hear this sound, we long for it to be resolved. In fact, even at the end of a song, a note can be suspended or in the midst of a song, a note can be suspended. And we we wait. We long for its resolution. Probably the easiest way for us to recognize this would be grace playing a scale, a musical scale. we just kind of go, what, it, needs to, it needs to conclude. In fact, Grace is going to kind of leave that note there and leave us in the tension. Which, which here's what she said. She said, that's going to kill me as a musician, right? And, and we, we have this dissonance that hangs in the air that some of us in our own heads are going, and I can't sing the note, but some of you are singing the note in your head, right? Dissonance. That's how we feel as we come to this text. I want to think about John's audience for a moment. John has this vision of heaven, all of, all of creation circling the throne in worship. Worshiping God, creator worthy. Uh, the lamb who is, has conquered has overcome this lion, the tribe of Judah, and he is worthy. And, and as they turn the page and as they, they go from the scenes and the songs of heaven to the scenes and the sounds of earth, there's something that seems out of place sound of tension and discord as they look at Caesar, who himself appears to be on the throne, and and who who around his throne seems like all of creation aligns itself and encircles itself, and there's this dissonance. How can these two be? In fact, as we look at our text in Revelation chapter 6, immediately we see these horses that ride out. And let me just paint this picture. Revelation 6 is what happens When creation, when we fight over thrones rather than falling before before the throne of God. Revelation 6 is what happens when we rebel. And the images of these four horses that ride, they're really not all that new. We've seen them, or at least the likes of them, ride before. In Zechariah chapter 6, we see horses like this. In fact, these horses seem to bring the consequences, the results of what happens when we fight over thrones rather than falling before the throne of God. And, and you look at these four horses, we won't land here for very long, but you notice the first horse comes in and he is white. The rider on top of him has a bow. He's wearing or he is given a crown and he comes, as the NIV says, bent on conquest, or as ESV says, conquering to conquer. And there's this... This tension, even this parody between the one who has already conquered and what we tend to do as we fight over thrones on earth. Now, lest we think that this is something that just points to others and says, yes, look what the politicians do and the rulers do, and look what the nations do, sometimes we have to recognize, no, this is sometimes us fighting over our own position on our own throne. John... I don't know that he had this recollection in this moment, but John had this moment where he and his brother James and their mom come before Jesus and ask that when he comes into his kingdom, that they would be given seats, thrones. See, we too easily can get caught up in the sounds and the scenes of this world. And this horse rides in. He's at a safe distance shooting his bow, but he comes desiring his own throne. And that's what happens when we fight over thrones rather than falling before the throne. The second horse rides in, and he's strangely familiar. These horses are all strange and yet strangely familiar. And he's riding a red horse, and he's given a sword, and he takes peace from the earth. He's allowed to take peace from the earth. And they, they are strangely familiar. We, we see this play out and this tension on earth as we look at not only the headlines around us, but we look at the storylines that play out in our relationships. And these horses look familiar. The third one is perhaps the most foreign to us. It's a black horse and his rider has scales in his hands. We don't use scales very often to to measure things. And at the same time, we kind of look at this and we go, yes, it looks like injustice and and it looks like famine. There's this strange cry about wheat and barley and oil and wine. It's perhaps the most foreign when it comes to us seeing it up close. Can I use a, a, a story? An experience I had that best explains or describes this dissonance on earth. It was in 2010, right after the earthquake in Haiti. Some of you remember the headlines. I was in uh, the country with a group of people who were working on a hospital and working in a hospital. And it was during that time that that we also, at the end of the the time, drove through Port-au-Prince in order to catch our our flight out of the country. But when we arrived, uh, the airline, the the airplane there had had broken down, which is not all that uncommon in my flights in and out of Haiti. And and so the airline was going to put us up. They were going to give us vouchers, which oftentimes is something that, you know, you celebrate. Uh, So we were put up in a hotel, and we had vouchers for meals. And so the taxi drives up. It has a flat tire, but we make it to the hotel. Uh, The hotel... And Port-au-Prince was, was called the La Plaza. And it's located on the side of the Central Park in front of the, the nation's palace. And if you remember the images from that time, you remember that the palace had collapsed. And that in that Central Park, 35,000 people had set up and come to live in tents. Hoping to just receive the daily needs that they had. Our taxi with a flat tire drove around this park before it pulled up to our hotel. The iron gates opened, the guards with sawed off shotguns ushered us in, and the gates shut. We enter into this compound with barbed wire along the side of the walls and broken glass. We're greeted by palm trees that try to hide the fact that we're in this compound in a swimming pool that's off to our left. And we're taken to our rooms, these rooms with clean linen sheets, these rooms that would, would have everything that we would need, warm showers. And, and we're taken to a meal, this meal that was an all-you-can-eat buffet that we didn't even have to pay for. And right on the other side of that wall were 35,000 people who barely had enough bread. I remember that night because I couldn't sleep. I remember just staying awake wanting to hear the dissonance of that moment. And there was something in that moment there was something in that moment that said god this is not the way it's supposed to be. So, this third writer looks somewhat like famine, looks somewhat like injustice, and, and looks a little bit like economic disparity. And we see the writer. He looks familiar. He looks familiar because this is what happens in a world that has rebelled against the throne, a world that fights over thrones rather than falling before the throne. This is what we do to one another. This is what happens when we don't put God on the throne. And so the fourth writer rides out, and he's all too familiar. The fourth rider rides out and his horse is pale. In ministry, I've, I've been around this color enough. The rider is named Death. And as is always the case with Death, Hades follows riding right behind him. Can I just say this? I'm, I'm tired of death. This image, these images, would have been familiar to John's audience. The tension would have been felt as they came out of Revelation 4 and 5 and as they looked at the world around them. And I know that you feel the tension too because you tell me. In in the scenes that appear in front of us, fathers holding his twin daughters who had been killed in a gas attack. But it's not just the present headlines and the present images. It's an archives full of hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years of what humanity does when we live in rebellion to the king. Images of concentration camps and refugees, images of children with bloated bellies and women who have been victimized, children who have been abused. It's images of families who have split, churches who have divided relationships that have broken. And I know that sometimes the dissonance is felt every time you open up a screen and read the headlines, but I also know that every time you close your eyes, sometimes you feel this dissonance as well. And what is striking perhaps with this image of these four horses is that in in Zechariah 6, these horses rode out against the nations in rebellion, the nations that had set themselves up in opposition to God. And there in Zechariah 1, we hear the cry in context, How long? How long until you you make this right? The irony here, the dissonance here is that we're caught up in the midst of this. And, And we're caught up in the midst of some of these consequences that happen when we rebel against the throne. And the fifth seal is opened. And in this fifth seal, here's what we hear. Listen to this. When I opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar... Now notice the altar is in heaven because the temple has been destroyed on earth by those who ride on horses. When I saw this altar, under the altar, I saw the souls of those who had been slain. The souls of those who had been slain for what purpose? For the word of God... And for the witness they had borne, they cried out in a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long, how long before you judge and avenge our blood? This question, how long? Have you ever landed in the tension with this question? It's not a new question in the Bible. The Psalms has it as this refrain that repeats itself. How long? How long? The prophets cry out, how long? And sometimes we find ourselves in a dark place. And sometimes we find ourselves crying out this same prayer. How how long? So so what's the answer? I mean, we anticipate an answer, right? I mean, as we're at the tension, as the scale is playing, we anticipate there being some resolution. How does this come to resolution? Well, we get a little bit of an answer. I guess here's part of it. Then they're each given a white robe. This, in chapter 3, by the way, is what is given to those who overcome. And they're told, here's what they're told, to rest a little longer. That, That may not be the answer we always want. My kids are riding in the car with me. This is not very long ago, but it happens all the time. We're riding to Silver Dollar City. And my three-year-old daughter asks this question a hundred times on a trip like that. Dad, how much longer? And being the typical dad, my answer will always be a little longer. We'll get there when we get there. All of those kinds of dad stock answers. And so when we're told to wait or rest a little longer, we kind of go, I kind of wanted a measurement of time. But I thought about this as I was driving and my daughter was asking this over and over and over again and I knew this chapel sermon was coming. There is something about our ability to trust that the Father will get us where he said he will take us that allows the answer, a little bit, a little while, to be enough. Let me also say this. What if... What if the answer to our question, how long, is not found in a measurement of time, but is found in a measurement of Him? What if this answer is not how long, but He is? In fact, look at the other word here. The word that says in the NIV, rest, or or wait, in the ESV is translated, rest. 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 I hadn't really noticed this word, or at least done a word study, not to dive too deep into this word. But this word has roots that go clear back into the Old Testament, clear back to creation. Rest. We find rest in God. We rest because He created. We rest in Him and we prioritize Him. We rest because He is, even when we are not. We stop. We pause. Because God is able to carry out even when we are not. Now, this word in Revelation is interesting as well. It has roots in Revelation Go in both directions. We find in Revelation 4 and 5 that, that those who worship never cease resting. They never stop resting, worshiping Him. We never cease worshiping Him. But later on in Revelation, we find that those who worship the beast, they are never given rest, never given rest. We rest in the tension knowing that we can rest in Him. We rest in the tension knowing that we can rest in Him. Knowing that He is, is often the answer to our question, how long? And so notice in this text a few things, we recognize that God is faithful. We can rest because He is faithful. He is that Father who even though He says how long, we trust that He will get us there. We we rest because He is sovereign. In fact, look at this text and their prayer and their cry. Oh, Sovereign Lord, they start. Oh, Sovereign Lord, holy and true. And then how long? We rest because He is in control. In fact, in this text, those notes of Revelation 4 and 5 have not gone away. They seem like they're in the background. They seem like they've been drowned out, but they're not that far in the background. We discover that it is the Lamb who opens these seals. We discover that it is the four creatures around the throne who usher the horses to come. We discover that the authority given these horses is given to them. They don't have it on their own. God is still sovereign. The Lamb is still on the throne. And we, yes, we wrestle in the dissonance and we ask questions in the dissonance. In fact, did you notice in this text, Revelation 6 and 7, there's three questions. We have our questions. But yet God is still sovereign. We also rest. Notice this. We, we can rest in the tension because we discover that He is just. No, notice what they said. How long before you judge? There's something about placing God on the throne and recognizing that He is just that allows us to stand back in our tension. And let me just say this for just a moment. I I know that some of you wrestle with this dissonance, this tension, because you yourselves have experienced some form of injustice. There's a storyline that not very many people know. And some of you in this room have shared this story. And there's something that happens when we're able to rest knowing that God will one day set things right. And I don't know how exactly He'll figure all of these things out, but I'm thankful that one day I can set back and have this tension resolved and go, God, You have allowed justice to take place. We rest in Him because He is just. Even the next seal... The sixth seal that is opened begins to answer that God will one day answer this question of justice. Notice what happens in the, the sixth seal. I looked and there was a great earthquake. And you start to see all of these cosmic m- events happen. Now, here's what I think is going on here. Everything that this world, the dwellers in this world have thought was, were secure, everything becomes unraveled. And they realize that this place without God on the throne is not as secure as they thought. And this wrath comes, this wrath of the Lamb, this judgment that was prayed for, it begins to come in the sixth seal. And those who are kings and those who ride on horses, they cry out the second question in this text, Who can stand? Now, we already know the answer to this question. Because we saw Him earlier in the text. In Revelation 5, this is the fourth thing that we can rest in. We can rest because we can rest in the fact that he is standing. In Revelation 5, there's this paradoxical picture. It is of a lamb who was slain. And yet there he is, he's standing. Now I know for most of us that's not all that shocking. But the image is fairly shocking. The idea of a lamb who was slain and yet he is there, he is He is standing trace this word and you'll begin to discover that when Jesus stands, he invites us also to stand with him. This lamb faced these same elements of tension when he walked amongst us. The lamb stood in front of Pilate the, the rider on a white horse, bent on his own throne and his own conquest. He stood before the Herods. He, he stood. He was sent to stand before those who were soldiers, who were ready to take peace from the earth with their sword. In fact, they were so ready that when Jesus was handed over to them, it is almost as if some sort of tension that had been building up inside of them is released on this man who represents everything about the people that they were sent, and in, in which nation they were sent to serve. And they, they quench their thirst by His blood. Jesus, even though He served them bread has everything taken from Him. And the scales of justice are thrown out the window as those who stand over Him want nothing taken from them. His flesh turns pale as the sky turns dark. And His blood pours down to the foot of that altar on that day and we see in Jesus and we see on that Friday and in that moment the tension of this text at perhaps it's most amplified moment and creation groans for it's resolution and there is tension As we have Friday, and as we have Saturday, and as those who were in that moment had no idea how God or if God would bring resolution. But here's what I love about Jesus in Revelation 5 He's standing. In fact, here's the thing about John's Gospel four different times he mentions Jesus standing, the same word. Mary is there in the garden, she's crying. She's wondering why this, why death, why this world. She's crying and she turns and there she he doesn't recognize him right away, but there he is, Jesus. He stood. And then you go to the upper room with the disciples. The doors are locked. They're there in the tension. And there in the midst of them, he comes. And he's, John uses the word. He stood. And he says to them, peace be with you. And eight days later, because Thomas wasn't there, there he is again. He's standing. And there by the Sea of Galilee, there he is standing again. Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, he stood. And because he stands, we can stand with him as well. Revelation chapter 7 is this long pause. How long? Last a little longer. Revelation 7 is this long rest note in the midst of these seven seals. And we find in this rest that God is faithful, that He has counted us, that He has sealed us, that we are secure in Him. But it's also in this text that we discover we too, like Jesus, are standing. Notice Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked, and behold a great multitude that no one could count, no one could number. By the way, you're not alone. They were from every nation and all tribes, all peoples, and all languages. And what are they doing? They're standing. They're standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now they're clothed in white robes, this symbol and revelation of those who overcome the tension of this world. Whether that be compromise or complacency or conflict, they overcome and they're faithful to Him. But this image struck me this week. And they're holding palm branches. In their hands. On Sunday, many of us not only heard the story, but saw the images of what happened to 44 believers who came on a Sunday where we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. This image struck me because this promise is for people like them that the symbol of victory, the symbol of the coming King is something we can stand and celebrate because He will continue to give us His promise that He will come set things straight. They're given palm branches in their hands and again they cry out in a loud voice. So standing, we hear them cry out, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now we might ask the third question, who are these people? In fact, there's an elder that comes up to John and says, who are these? Who are these people? And John, I think in this moment, his heart, I don't know how he said this phrase. You know. John, at this phase in his life, was an old man. He had seen so many people around him. Killed for their faith. But I couldn't help but think about his own brother, who decades before Herod had killed by the sword. I I can't think of him as he heard those voices cry out, how long that his voice was not in the chorus. I I could not help but think. That, as he sees these standing here, that his brother is in the midst of the crowd, you know these these are those who came out of the great tribulation it 's not something in the future. this is something John was dealing with now he says i 'm your partner in this we 're in fellowship in this we 're together in this. you know these, and yet they are standing, and in one voice, this is their this is their declaration. In the midst of a world that fights over thrones rather than falling before the throne. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Would you say that with me? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne into the lamb. Will you stand with me in the midst of the tension of this world. Will you stand and say this with me. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Say it with me. They say in a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. In the midst of your tension. In the midst of the, the difficulty and the darkness. Say this. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. We can rest in the attention only because we can rest in Him.